Amen. 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 Let us, let's start this morning by just all saying together, I am made for a purpose. Can we repeat that? I am made for a purpose. Let's say that again. I am made for a purpose. Amen. Amen. Well, Lord, we thank you that we are not here in vain, but that you have created us for your purpose. And this morning, as you have honored us with your presence, Lord, we lean in that we might hear from you concerning this that has been in your heart since before the foundations. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would give us ears to hear, hearts that are able to discern that which you are saying in such a way that we can make the necessary adjustments in our lives to line up with your purpose. And so, Lord, I pray that you would indeed Tune our ear to your voice. Help me, Lord, to be a clear voice and to convey your heart as well so that in all things, the hearing and the declaring, you would be honored and glorified and your kingdom extended. And so we commit this time. We set ourselves apart to you and to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, huh. Why are you here? Why are you here? I mean, that's one of those, you know, big questions. I don't mean why you're sitting in the seat right now, but why are you here? Um, boy, you know, that's, like I said, that's, that's a huge question that at some point we need to have a good, clear sense of just why am I here? For what reason? For what purpose? Um, I, just, I just cleared my three score and 10 uh, back in December. For those of you who don't know, those are the years that the Lord says that we have three score and 10. For some of you young ones, that means 70. <laughs> we don't talk about scores, but just three score and 10. So it's, you, I, 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 I tell my Kids and my grandkids, I have more years behind me now than I have in front of me, as do some of you. And the thing is that uh, I wish I could say that all of those years were given toward productive and helpful things that were moving me somewhere. In some respects, many of them weren't. I met the Lord at a very young age. I was in my tw I was 20, 19 to be precise. But for many of those years, I had no idea. I'm just going along day to day. And some of those years were wasted. And so it's a matter of, Lord, help me to focus, because there was something in your heart when you made me. Now, let me say this to all of you. You really are strange. You are peculiar. Now, that's what the scriptures have to say. We're peculiar people. And you are peculiar. And there's nothing wrong with that. God is the one who's made you peculiar. So we need to go back and we need to talk about this issue of why we're here. Because there is something very significant about the fact that you and I 
are here in Christ. And, and it's my hope to, to, to help us to adjust how we see some things so that we can line up with that. Um, uh, I'm originally from Cleveland, left here uh, back in oh, 1976. How many of you were born after 1976? Oh, my goodness. You all weren't even here when I left. Uh, <laughs> But I left in 76, came back um, in uh, 1988. So I was gone 12 years. Was here for probably another two years. And I, I met the Lord, by the way, in 72. So I'm, I'm gone all of these years. Um, those were important years because they were formative years. God was doing something, and I didn't know it at the time. Um, but there were things that he was working because he saw something when, when I gave my life to Christ. And I may not have been aware of it, but he was faithfully shaping and molding and adding and taking away some things. So when I came back here, uh, I had a much better sense of at least some of what he was doing. But I remember in 1990, I went to a conference and there was a leader from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Rick Joyner was his name. And he, some of you know Rick's name. Uh, he made a statement which I thought was one of those really profound things that come from God. This is what he said. He said that unless we embrace the ultimate purpose of God, we will continually be distracted by the lesser purposes of God. Unless we embrace the ultimate purpose of God, ultimate being the operative word, we will continually be distracted by the lesser purposes of God. How many of you know that day to day there are some things that God gives you that, that you're supposed to do? There are some seasons in your life where there are assignments that you have, but all of those flow into a greater purpose. And so I want to start there because that's where all of us are. Ultimately, God, what is at the top of your list? Now, uh, I've said this before, and so I don't mind repeating it because I'm always looking to call people to this issue of ultimate purpose. Um, Lord, we need to know your ultimate purpose. But before I, before I define that, let me say this. It says that unless we embrace his ultimate purpose, we will continually be distracted. Distracted by lesser purposes. Let me tell you something about your enemy. He's not always trying to get you to do something wrong. Many times what he'll do is to try to keep you from doing the thing that's right, the thing that God wants. And guess what he'll do? He'll create distractions that don't look like they're wrong things at all. But his purpose is you're supposed to be doing here. So there's this really good thing right here that you'll just spend a lot of time and energy and resources with. Not that they're wrong. They're actually very good in some cases. But the purpose is to keep you from doing that. So unless we embrace the ultimate purpose of God, we'll continually be distracted by these lesser purposes. So we need to understand just what that is. Real quickly, I just want to touch ultimate purpose. Back, uh, and this is not, by the way, 
uh, in your notes, but I just, I just want to make reference to them. You all know I love Genesis, so I, I'm always going to go back there because that's where God starts. He starts Genesis, that's where I like to start. Um, we talked about the fact God made us in his image and according to his likeness, but in, in Genesis 1.28, this, this is what he says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Do you realize that's the very first thing that God said to his creation? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and so on. And so here's God laying out purpose and plan. But let me give you a category for that, because that's going to be really important to understand ultimate purpose. First of all, what does he say? Fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What had he just done? He had just created essentially everything and all living things, and then he created two individuals in particular, male and female, and he says, now, you're in my image and according to my likeness. He made two. He said, now, your job is to reproduce what I've done. I produce two. You're to reproduce. Anybody have any idea how many people are on the planet right now? Eight, eight billion? Seven, eight billion, something like that? Seven, eight billion from two. Think that's fairly significant? God said, I'm just making two. Your job is to fill the rest of the planet with that. Don't let anybody tell you, by the way, these population folks, that, something, that there's something wrong with population, large population, because God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill means there ain't no more room for anything else. If you fill a cup, there's no more room. It overflows. So that was the very first thing. He says, uh, I want you to, to fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? My image bearers, those who are in my likeness. And so, any of you who have kids, significant thing that you've done. You've contributed to that. Anybody that you've brought to the Lord, significant contribution. You've made more image bearers. But then he says, oh, by the way, by the way, manifesting who he is, being like me, a manifestation of, of that. Um, or part of that definition is glorifying God because I'm manifesting who he is. All right? Now, sin obviously took that in a different direction, but initially what God's intent was that this orb is to be filled with those who were like me, so that his glory would fill the whole place, which is what takes me to the second of these issues, Numbers chapter 14, verse 21. This is after Israel messed up. God was upset with them. Remember the spies that he sent out, 12 spies? Ten of them came back with bad report. Two came back with a good report. And so God was upset. I won't go into how upset he was, but he was mad. And so what he ultimately says is this. In Numbers 14, 21, but indeed, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So he says to, to Adam and Eve, fill the earth with his glory, then he, or fill the earth with my, my image bearers. But then he says in Numbers, all the earth will be filled with the glory of God. What does that have to do with ultimate purpose? Twofold. The first thing he says is fill the earth. Then he says in Genesis, subdue and rule over, okay, 
He's the creator. As the creator, does he rule over his creation? Yes, he does. But when it comes to this planet, who did he, who did he delegate that responsibility to? Us. Twofold ultimate purpose. Fill the earth with his glory and then rule representing him. Okay? That's the ultimate purpose. That can be summed up by saying God's ultimate purpose is to glorify himself and to extend his rule. Another word or designation for God's reign, guess what it is? His kingdom. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. Is it not? It's where Christ reigns as king. Now, that can be all kinds of places, but it is ultimately the reign of God. So the ultimate purpose of God is to extend his reign, to extend his kingdom. What I want to suggest is that every day in your life, the things that God puts before you will, should ultimately flow into those two realities, which really are one. And I guarantee you, before the end of this day, you will be faced with something that will, whose intent is to distract you from that. And it's because we have an enemy who loves to do that. Now, but the thing is, the, the point is that we are ultimately called to glorify him to extend his kingdom. And what he's done because of sin he has raised up in the earth, and this is the whole purpose of what Jesus has done, is to redeem that which sin robbed from us. Do you realize that the agent of God's redemption in the earth is the church? We are called to be the agents of redemption. Hence, hence, by virtue of the new birth, we are now a new creation, a new creation. And so as such, this is where we'll go to the very first of the, the, the uh, slides. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, because we are a new creature, Paul writes this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. When you met Jesus, when you gave your life to Christ, what he did was to restore you to the same place that Adam and Eve were and to say, as a new creature, creature now, this is, you're to go forward in the image and likeness of God. So you've got more than just a ticket to heaven. What you got was a new beginning and he restored you to that which was God's original purpose. Do you realize God's original purpose is his eternal purpose. It's his, his eternal intention. He doesn't have a plan B. What he put in place at the very beginning is what he intended for all of eternity. And so, uh, so what Christ did was to restore us to original purpose. And, and that purpose contains works. Works that are very specific to you and to you. They all flow into God's purpose, but they're very specific and they are unique. They were also prepared beforehand. This is where I love finding out more and more about who God is. Because he, he is just 
fascinating and intriguing in terms of how he operates, what he sees. Realize God is an eternal God, okay? God is outside of time. So he's, unlike us, he's not limited by time and space, okay? Uh, two weeks from now is linear for us. Two weeks from now is not linear for God. He just sees it all. Eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. I mean, you can't put it in terms of time issues, but from God's vantage point, he sees all of it. There's a marvelous verse in Isaiah 46. It says that he's a God who calls the end of a thing from the beginning. So here, just think about your own life. Think about your birthday. And all you got one. So just think about that for a minute. You know, get that figure in your head that day. You may even know the time. And understand that on that day, God knew everything that would happen in your life. As a matter of fact, that day he saw this day. That day he saw the day that you will leave this life. As a matter of fact, it was before you were a gleam in your daddy's eye that he saw all of that. Before the foundations, he saw that. And so in eternity, here's what God did. He looks in all of time. Time, by the way, is a created thing. It's not just long eternity. No, it's created. It was a part of the creation. So here is God who eons ago, when he created, he looked and he saw on, what is today's date? Third, February 3rd, 5th, sorry. February 3rd, 2023. He saw this day then and decided on this day, this is what I'm going to do. Very precise, very specific in some ways. And he said, I want Kevin on this day to accomplish this thing for which I am preparing him. Do you realize that that work was planned on before you were born? But when you were born, it was for the intent purpose of bringing you to this day and that which would follow before. Why? Because it's a work that God is doing. It's not just the work that you're doing. He, he didn't get us here and then try to figure out what to do with us. No, no. What he did was to say, these are the works that I'm going to do. I will redeem a people who will fulfill and accomplish those works. And so it ain't about what you're doing, but it's about what he's doing. You are his workmanship all along. What's he doing? Shaping, molding. Uh, I love how Rachel talks about the jobs that you like and the ones that you don't necessarily like. Do you realize he uses those too? He uses them because he shapes you and he molds you through those situations that you absolutely hate. There he is. Shaping, molding, forming you because he knows that there is a point in time where you will be useful as a vessel to accomplish that which I want. So, so before the foundation, those were the things that he did. And you were created in Christ for those good works. There ain't no uh, new creation apart from Christ. None. And so it's only in Christ 
that, that you will accomplish the reality, the fullness of that. He prepared them beforehand. Why? Because at some point in time, he wants you to walk in those things. So uh, uh, they were prepared before you were. When the scriptures talk about how God has ordained our, our boundaries and our time, it's for here and it's for now. Your works could not have been accomplished 100 years for, uh, ago, nor can it be accomplished a, 100 years from now. I'm really glad that God put me here now. I mean, it's a really, it's an exciting time in some ways. It's a terrifying time in other ways. But I'm grateful for it because, Lord, you knew that this is the optimal time for me to be here. You need to think of your life in those terms. You're not just a little person, just Mark, who's here uh, for no purpose, but he specifically wanted you, Mark, to be here at this time and in this place. Why? Because there are some things that he's got for you to do. You're here to accomplish his works. The new birth, us being in Christ, takes this out of the realm that this is about us now. That's one of the things that every day, every day, every day, you will have to settle the issue in your own heart and in your mind that my life today is not primarily about me. That's one of the distractions, folks. My life is not primarily about me. It is about him and his purposes. What gives significance to that is that it's about what God does. Do you realize there's what God does, and then there's what you do? And what you do doesn't even compare to what he does. In your greatest works, you don't even come close to accomplishing what God does, um, what he is capable of, what he does. And so we're all here together as this collective of those that he's drawn to be several things. That's what the church is. Last week, I gave you a list of eight things. You know, We're his family. We're the body. We're his workmanship. That's the real thing I want to look at today because that's what represents now the, the, the works, the significance. We are his workmanship. Uh, we're one new man. Last week, we talked about the community of the king. We're the temple in the Lord. We're the bride of Christ, which is the corporate expression. We're the army of God. But for our purposes today, we want to look at the fact that we are his workmanship. There are those works that have been created. They're not just idle things, but they are things that factor into glorifying God and extending his kingdom. So uh, Jesus set the example for us. In John 17, this is Jesus and he's praying. He's going before the Father and he's kind of summing up things. This is what he says. Jesus spoke these things, lifting up his eyes to heaven. This is the Lord's Prayer, by the way. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Verse 3 says, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. But then verse 4 says, I glorified you on earth, 
having accomplished the work you have given me to do. One of the primary ways of glorifying God, how do you do that? By doing the work he's given you to do. How do you glorify God? Doing the work he's given you to accomplish. Now, how many of you would agree that those works were very specific as a matter of fact, Jesus didn't come up with those works. Those were works that the Father gave him to do. There's an interesting verse in John 14. This is what Jesus says uh, concerning himself. Uh, what, he, what he essentially says is this. That it's the Father abiding in me who does his works. That's Jesus. The Father abiding in me does his works. Say that with me. The Father abiding in me does his works. If Jesus needed the Father abiding in him, to do his works. Do you think that you don't need the Father abiding in you to do his works? Do you realize you can't work for God? There's nothing the flesh can, can offer to him at all. But it's he who abides in you who does his works. The interesting thing about that passage in John 14, Jesus uses a word. He talks about initiative. I don't do or say anything of my own initiative, but it's the Father abiding in me who does his work. Um, this is a matter of, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. So what does that mean? It means that I have to adjust now my thinking in terms of how I approach God and those things that he has called me to. In Romans chapter 11, I won't read the whole passage, but in verse 36, Paul ends uh, chapter 11. And by the way, there are, no, there are no chapter designations in Romans or in any of the books of the Bible. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Chapter 12, verse 1 then says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies. Now, we're all familiar with that. But he ends by saying, for from him, through him, to him are all things. Three important considerations in approaching significance. First of all, the consideration is he's our creator. He's our maker. Your uniqueness was specifically given to you by your creator because he knew the functions and the works to which you had been called. Do you realize your eye is shaped a certain way, has certain unique properties and abilities, because its task is to reflect light back so that you can see. In the same way, you have uniqueness about who you are, the way that he's created you, so that you can function according to what he's called you to. So number one consideration is that He's the creator. He's our maker. The second of those is that it is through him 
So we're from him. He's our creator. It's through him. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Where does the life come from? Comes from the vine into the branches. It's he who is in us. The life comes through us. The power comes through us. The anointing comes through us. But where does it come from? It comes from him. So you now are the vessel through whom God wants to work and to bring about his purposes. Because it's not the result of flesh. It's the result of those things that God has called you to. And they can be as mundane as just a task that you have on your job. Um, uh, uh, Ryan, my oldest son, and my uh, youngest son, Michael, used to work at Belfair, uh, which is for troubled kids. It was kind of interesting what would take place with them. Uh, Lisa was <laughs> over there as well. Uh, but here's what they would do. Each morning, their assignment was to pray for the kids. That was the thing that God had. So they would prayer walk the room, praying for the kids, because that was God's direction to them. That was their task at the time. Here was the outlook, of the, the outcome of that. Now, these are troubled kids at Belfair. God moved in such a way with those kids. By the way, Belfair is a Jewish community center. So you know how they feel concerning Jesus. God moved in those kids in such a way that it got the attention of the administrators at Belfair who came and asked them, what are you all doing? Because it had a real impact on the kids. It wasn't them. But it was the vine and the branches. He worked through that. So it was from, from him. It was through him. And then it's to him. You've got an audience of one. An audience of one. This is God's purpose for you. You don't do this because men are pleased. There are things that you do. Why? Because, Father, those are what you've given me to do. And you are pleased. Jesus in Gethsemane. Do you realize Gethsemane was the very first time in all of eternity that Jesus faced the situation of having to be separate from the Father? Not the first time in a hundred years. Oh, stop. First time in all of eternity faced with that. Separate from his father. So what's he saying? Father, if it's possible for this cup to pass, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What was the cup? wasn't the pain. It was the separation from his father. What did he do? He was willing to step into even the unpleasant and the unthinkable thing in obedience to the will of his father to accomplish the thing that had tremendous significance because it provided for all of mankind the way back to reconciliation with the father. Nonetheless, with you, there are some things that God will put before you. Some things you will say, yay, God, let's do that. Other things God will put before you and he'll say, oh, no, not that. <laughs> not him. 
or her. Not there. At, though, at that point, you are faced with a, with a decision in terms of your obedience. You either can follow what you'd like, what's comfortable for you, what's pleasurable for you. Remember what I told you? It may not even be a bad thing. But it distracts you from the thing that honors God. What does Jesus say? He, he agonized over that also, by the way. It was difficult for him. At times, it'll be difficult for you. I'm facing this decision. Lord, I really don't want to do that. I don't know that I can do that. Not my will, but your will be done. Let me... Let me give you, in Philippians 3, and I will, I'll kind of wind down with this. Paul writes to the church in Philippi because Paul was faced with a life of those things. This is what he says. Whatever things were, were gained to me in chapter 3, verse 7, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the base of faith. First of all, the thing that Paul is saying is, I'm changing my value system. Some things that were valuable to me, some things that were priorities for me, I'm counting those things as loss. Because the thing that I want to gain, the thing that has value, is Christ. Knowing him, following him, walking with him. Everything else is lost. Let me challenge all of you. Take the things that are valuable to you and move them down a notch. And I'm not talking about the bad things. I'm not talking about the bad things. I'm talking about the things that you like, the things that you like. Move them down, down a notch. Don't just move them down a notch, but elevate Knowing and following Christ above all of those things. Why? Because they're decisions that you will have to make on that basis. Lord, in following you, you will lead me into the purposes of God. So here is where we want to go with that then. Verse 12 says, uh, Paul says then, not that I've already obtained it. He talks about suffering. He talks about being conformed to his death. He talks about the resurrection of the dead. Then he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, perfect but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ. Beloved, let me tell you, that is one of the more important things that you need to consider. Laying hold of that for which also you were laid hold of by Christ. Let me say this, uh, and, and I'll kind of wind this down. Christ didn't just lay hold of you to get you to heaven. What he did was to lay hold of you. Heaven is, 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 is ultimately an outcome for all of us. But while we are here, there are very specific purposes. When Paul says, I press in to lay hold of that, Paul's that was very specific, precise, and it was uniquely his. What was Paul called to? He was called to bring the, the gospel to the Gentiles. Do you realize Paul's whole life 
even his tutelage under Gamaliel uh, led God, or, or God used that to lead him into those purposes. You have a that that's more than just generally, I'm supposed to be like Christ, but very specific works that you were called to, very specific and precise things that you were called to do. You have a that. As a matter of fact, you all have several that's. Paul's that was very precise. Moses' that was very precise. Jesus said, Father, I glorified you having accomplished the task that you've given me to do. Um, most of us don't think about our that's in terms of the significance of them or the uniqueness of them or that they're very specific. But I want to say to all of us this morning, you have that's. You may not know those that's. Most people don't. But God wants us to. Why? Because everything that he is doing, all of your obedience, all of your shaping and molding is to, is to, to form you into the vessel who can fulfill the that's in your life. Some of you have a lot of time ahead of you to try to figure that out. Some may not have so much time. But the God who calls the end of a thing from the beginning knows when you get your aha moments as well. And whether you're at the beginning or whether you're closer to the end, it's never too late to adjust and to say, God, I want to position my life in such a way that as I follow you, your directives toward me will lead me toward that. And I will set my will on, Lord, I want to press in to lay hold of that for which also you laid hold of me. Your works will count as they are in perfect alignment with the will of God. If they've come out of your own initiative, your own efforts, the Bible has a term for that as well. They're called dead works. And Hebrews says you need to repent from dead works. So if you've got dead works, don't be condemned by that. Just repent. That's one of the best messages in the Bible. Repent. Because then that's when the change and the adjustments can be made. I always... I've talked about this for years with believers, young and old, about your that's. And let me say this in closing. If you don't know your that, that can be discovered and achieved. First of all, the most important thing is following Jesus you'll never discover it apart from him. If you don't know him, then you need to meet him. And to settle the issue of who's leading your life. The second thing that needs to take place is to be led by the Spirit of God. He's the one who knows the path. He's the one who is charged with shaping and molding you. led by him, not grieving, nor quenching him. But the works that he brings to you, some natural, some supernatural works, 
remember it's the one who abides in us who accomplishes his works and then the final thing embracing and obeying God's word both Logos and Rhema God will lead us by his word and there's perfect harmony between that which is spoken by God and that which is written in the scriptures. I always assume, like I said, that most don't know they're that. Many don't even think about that. This morning, as we're talking about created for significance, God is the one who brings significance because he's the one who's doing the work through don't know you're that. We're all family here, so I'm not going to say bow your head. I'm going to ask you to stand. You don't know you're that? Need to be, and I'm talking about specific, precise, clear things.
specific, unique, precise, that they can cooperate with the circumstances in which you place them to shape and to mold them to optimally accomplish and achieve so that as Jesus says, Father, I glorified you having accomplished the work you've given me to do. That each one would be able to say, Father, we have glorified you by accomplishing the work that you've given me to do. Lord, may that be clear in the hearts and minds of those who are